we like to have fun here at Wapak Naz. If you haven't I haven't learned that yet. Um, and uh, hey, if you have just started attending Wapak Naz in the last like six weeks or so, coming up on March 15th is starting point. Uh, this will be our second starting point, and we're going to do this every six weeks. Um, and uh, that'll be right over here in the in the Sunday school room, right off the main lobby. And this is really just a, an, an entry point. We want you to just kind of understand really quick uh, who we are, uh, a brief mission, vision, values, um, and uh, want to get you into taking first steps right here at this wonderful, wonderful place with these wonderful people. Uh, it's about 10, 15 minutes. It's 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 really from the 20,000 foot level. And if you have kids upstairs. Uh, our ministry partners are awesome, and they are willing to uh, watch your kids for those 15 minutes until that's done so that you can go and pick them up. And uh, yesterday we had a great opportunity with uh, about nine people. Uh, one of our leaders uh, from our board was there as well uh, for our first um, installment of a two-course class, uh, our Wapak Naz DNA class. We went over our story as a church and our story of how uh, Matthew and I, myself, had came, have come here, and really who we are and what we're about and what we're not about. Next week, we're really going to step into uh, who we are as the Church of the Nazarene, um, our theology, our doctrine, uh, why we believe what we believe, and really what membership is. And so, man, there's a lot of really cool things happening, and uh, really appreciate the crowd that was with us yesterday, and that will be with us uh, as I drone on for another two hours on a Saturday morning. But they're filled with sugar and coffee, so it's all good, right? Um, so we're, we're finishing up our series called The Church. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll get to the scriptures here, here, here in a minute. Um, but uh, family dinners at the Ambrose household uh, were really, really important. And I'm sure most of you moms were like my mom. You did everything within your power to make sure family was around the table whether it was with sports and activities, um, uh, scholastic activities, you did your best, like my mom, to make sure that there was dinner on the table and people around the table. Uh, I remember even as a kid, um, my mom's voice careening through the neighborhood, Stephen, dinner! That's when kids actually played outside. And the street lights were your watch telling you, it's time to go home. Um, I can still remember mom calling me, uh, and I can hear it through the neighborhood. Uh, she was a short little thing, but tell you what, her voice could travel. Um, and so by my eighth grade year, uh, my brother had moved out of the house. He enlisted in the Army and uh, um, graduated basic, and he went into paratrooper training at the 82nd Airborne. And so the family dynamic thinned out, and then my sophomore year, my sister uh, got married, and so she moved away uh, across town, really. Um, and uh, so it was really my mom, my dad, and I for dinner when we had dinner uh, around the table. Uh, but with the, the, the dinner table, there was something about the dinner table. My mom always made sure that the, the table itself had accessories, some really important accessories. And... The, when we got rid of the first table, I remember sitting around uh, with my family, and my, my mom and dad purchased the new table. She ensured that the new table had the same accessories as the old table. And as our family has 
gotten older, the dynamics have increased. And in fact, my sister and brother-in-law, when they got rid of the table that was handed down to them from my mom and dad, uh, my sister and brother-in-law made sure that their table had the same accessories that were so pivotal and important to the family dinner. So now, whether you're at my mom's house or my sister's house, um, and we have dinner, kind of the pre-meal activity kind of goes like this. It's the table set for either four or five, and then if somebody else shows up, you put that all-important accessory, another chair that matches the rest of the table. And then if, like with my niece, she's come to that age where she now has a boyfriend, been with him for a little over a year and maybe a year and a quarter, sometimes Kyle will show up along with my niece, and so you add another chair. And so when those chairs, when all the matching chairs are gone, we go to the garage and we pull out the non-matching chairs and you don't sit as high as everybody else and you're kind of sunk down on the table. Or you'll go and get the benches that I remember from my childhood that we would pull out and put around the table. Uh, And then if, like my nephew who has a girlfriend, Hannah, um, she might arrive. So what do we do? My mom's boyfriend, me, my my sister, my brother-in-law, Amy, my niece and nephew and their boyfriends, and sometimes they bring in other people. There's the other important accessory that I haven't mentioned. It's it's the one that you'll hear my mom or my sister say, Hey, Tyler, go get the leaf for the table. And so Tyler goes and gets the leaf for the table. My, my mom's table has two leaves. And so we unlock the bottom of the table and pull really, really hard. And if you're like my family, you're pulling really hard and the table doesn't come apart because somebody forgot to unlock the other side. And you're looking like, why isn't this thing happening? But eventually you pull the table apart. And then you put the leaves into the table. And you push it back really, really hard because you're frustrated because it was not unlocked in the first place the first time. And now your table has extended. And now you have all these chairs that don't match. You have a bench. And you have everybody around the table. Why? Because there's always room for one more. Right? There's always room for one more. You know, Jesus believed this. He believed this, and and, and it's really subtle, but he believed this in his teachings. And actually, that's my cat, and I forgot to set this up. The Ambrose household, this one in Wapak, doesn't have a table with a leaf on it because it's just Amy and I and sometimes our cat, Cavity, who joins us at the table. We do not have a table with a leaf because it's just us three. It's sometimes our cat. And I don't think Cavie's going to be inviting her friends along very often. That went over like a lead balloon. I'm really sorry. (laughs) I forgot to set it up. But that's okay. We embrace the awkward around here, don't we? So, um, in fact, Jesus did believe this. He believed that there was room for one more, always. For God so loved the world that he 
gave his one and only son that whoever, would you mind saying one more? Ready? One, two, three. One more. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need you to do it with some unction today because I'm going to ask you to do this several times today. I want to make sure you're engaged and you get it, all right? So I'm going to reread this. And then I'm going to ask you to say one more. Because there's always room for one more. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever, say one more, believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Love your enemies. Say one more. And pray for those who persecute you. Say one more. Exactly. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good. And He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Say one more. Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Say one more. Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Say one more. Man, you're good. But while he, the prodigal son, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. Say one more. Man, you're good. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And Love your neighbor as yourself. Say one more. There's always room for one more. Always room for one more. At the table of God, there's always room for one more. Jesus not only believed this, but He acted this. He lived this. And He connected His words and His actions. And we said this last week. If you want to know what Jesus meant by what Jesus said... Watch what Jesus did, right? If you want to know what Jesus meant by what Jesus said, watch what Jesus did. So we're going to step into two stories this morning. Um, we're going to we're going to get off the tarmac and then land very quickly shortly after. If you would open up to Matthew chapter nine, <clears throat> Matthew chapter nine, and Luke chapter nine or Luke chapter nineteen. I, I thought I had the scriptures up there. They, I passed them by. I'm really, really sorry. Matthew chapter 9 and Luke 19, verse 1. So Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to look at verse 9 through 13, and then we're immediately going to go over to Luke chapter 19, verse 1 through, I believe, 9. And so follow along with me. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Because there's always room for one more, right? On hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, 
but the sinners. There's always room for one more. Flip over to Luke chapter 19, verse 1. We're going to go back to these texts through, uh, through the sermon, so you might want to put your fingers there or hold them there or what have you. Verse 1, chapter 19 of Luke. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house because there's always room for one more. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He is going to be the guest of a sinner, because there's always room for one more. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost, because there's always room for one more. Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus Christ, we thank you. We love you. We appreciate you. And we are so glad that there's always room for one more at the table. That Jesus, out of your death and resurrection, and out of Pentecost, the church was born. But the church is not for the church itself. The church is for the people. The sinner. The lost. The prodigal. It's for everybody. Because you love everybody. God, will you open our eyes right now and help us understand as you understand. Help us see as you see. May the scriptures speak clearly. May it divide our hearts and our minds and check our motives and our actions. And Lord God, will you convict us? Will you move us in your direction so that we can become holy and Christ-like like you? We love you, and we thank you for your love. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray and ask these things. Amen. So Jesus was walking along this, the Sea of Galilee with some of his disciples. And uh, not all the disciples, because obviously Matthew, who becomes a disciple, was not with them yet. And he comes to Matthew's tax collecting booth. Matthew, a.k.a. Levi, was a tax collector. He was a hated man. He was a part of a people, the Jewish people, but yet the people did not want him to be a part of them. Because, in fact, Matthew kind of, went in bed with Rome. See, Matthew's job was to collect taxes, to basically squeeze the turnip, if you will, to get out of the poor people, the impoverished people, what he could, not only to fund the Roman juggernaut, but also to fund his himself, to line his own pocket. And I wonder, being up in Capernaum, because this is in Capernaum that this happens, that Matthew is on the crossroads of commerce and culture, And I wonder if Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, and John, those two brothers, 
all four of them partners in the fishing business, when Jesus came up to the tax collecting booth that is actually, in fact, in Capernaum, where Peter's house is, I really wonder what all four of those men were thinking about Jesus talking to this man, Matthew. Because I wonder, I wonder just maybe at one point, Matthew gouged Peter, James, John, and Andrew and taxed them to the hilt so that their business wasn't making as much revenue as possible for their families. I wonder if Simon the Zealot, the insurrectionist, was in this group at this point because Simon the Zealot had a deep, deep hate for tax collectors because Simon the Zealot was an insurrectionist who really wanted the government to be overthrown. And he was a part of a group that really would do it by force. And so Jesus comes up with his disciples to this tax collector booth and says to Matthew, follow me. Why? Because there's always room for one more. Can you imagine the thoughts of those disciples? But I wonder... Because Matthew gets up and immediately follows Jesus. Have you ever thought that Matthew really did long for God? He longed to be connected to his creator. But yet, the people around him pegged him and pinned him in his position. They only saw a tax collector. They only saw a traitor. They only saw someone that was trying to penalize and gouge them. They didn't look past the position. They didn't look past what he was doing. They didn't see Matthew as a human being. But yet Jesus saw Matthew in his own image because Matthew was created just like everyone else in God's image. And so Matthew immediately gets up out of the tax collector booth and follows Jesus. I just wonder if there are people in our own life who are longing for God, longing to be connected. They're a part of a people, but the people don't want them to be a part of them. They just want to belong. They want to be connected to their Creator. But yet the people are the ones that are preventing them to be connected to the Creator, connected to God Almighty. See, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, probably felt the same way that Matthew did. See, Zacchaeus was a tax collector, yet he was a chief tax collector. Maybe he'd been doing it a lot longer than Matthew. Maybe he climbed the ladder in such a way that he probably, if you look back on his life after Jesus, he probably regretted the way he climbed the ladder. Yet, Jesus is coming through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem in Luke chapter 19 along with his disciples, because on the end of this trip, Jesus would not be passing through Jericho any longer, because on the other side of this, Jesus would be giving up his life and surrendering his life on the cross. This is the last time of many times that he's been in Jericho. And Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, knows what's going on in his town. And so he's heard about this Jesus. But the crowd is so thick and so pressing on Jesus that the chief tax collector could not get in because he was curious. He was curious about Jesus Christ, this miracle worker, this healer, this grace giver, this lover of 
people. But the crowd who were so close to who they thought were so close to God pushed him outside of the group, of the crowd, so much so that they drove him up a tree. He climbed a tree because he couldn't see. Yes, he was a short man, but if you really think about it, no one wanted him to see in the first place. So he climbed the tree to see what he could see. And it was Jesus, as he was walking along, that came to the tree and looked up up and saw the hanging fruit. Saw Zacchaeus and his curiosity, longing to be connected to his creator, longing to be connected to God, was searching for God, but the people had pushed him out. And Jesus said, come down immediately. I want to stay at your house today. Why? Because there's always room for one more. Now, I wonder. See, Matthew had been with the disciples for about three years. And in this moment, I really wonder what Matthew thought. You ever play things in your mind and remember moments from the past? Think of those pivotal moments that things had changed in your life, whether they're good or bad. But you play your memories like a record sometimes. See, I don't, I don't know who was all invited over to Zacchaeus' house, but I do know that Matthew was one of those. And when Zacchaeus said, I'm going to give everything that I have, I'm going to pay restitution, a tax collector turned generous man, I'm going to pay restitution and I'm going to give to the poor. The people jeered at Zacchaeus and actually jeered at Jesus. They weren't cheering for him any longer. This man of God, this healer, whom everybody wanted to be next to, now we're scoffing at. Isn't it really interesting how the human mind and heart can turn so quickly? Yeah. I wonder what Matthew was thinking. I wonder if he was saying, man, those must have been the words that Peter, James, John, and Andrew were thinking about me when Jesus came to me. I wonder if Matthew was sitting at Zacchaeus' house and on it, at his table and looking around at the faces of all the disciples and remembering that night when he met those faces for the first time. I wonder if Matthew thought, man, I was this guy. I'm akin to this guy. I am this guy. And now this guy's my brother. I just wonder what Matthew was thinking. Again, we really don't know if Zacchaeus invited all his tax collectors and sinner friends, but we do know that Matthew did. We do know that that night he invited his whole posse over to the house. If you would look, go back to the text with me, Matthew chapter 9. Verse 10. It's really interesting. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. I wonder if he had a table with a couple leaves 
in it so he can extend the table and had some mismatching stones around the table. I don't know. But Matthew invited his tax collector and sinner friends and they sat at the table with Jesus and his disciples. Folks, because there's always room for one more, right? Half the room believed as Jesus believed or were almost there. The other half of the room were not. They didn't believe as Jesus believed. They didn't belong as Jesus belonged or his disciples. But Matthew was that pivotal man. Matthew brought the whole room together with Jesus. And they all had dinner. And they all ate together. Whether they believed or not. Jesus received them regardless. Because Jesus loved them. That's who he was. That's who he is. And they all sat and they all ate. And guess what? Yes, the religious crowd, just like with Zacchaeus' religious crowd, all pointed the finger. They all said, he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. That's right. Because Jesus loves. Because there's always room for one more. But see, at the end of both stories, Jesus qualifies it all. Doesn't he? He says this, the end of Matthew's story. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And at the end of Zacchaeus' story, he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Now, I understand in 2020 that language is probably really offensive. But in the first century, this was very loving language. Have you ever looked for something that was lost? Yeah. My parents left me in a grocery store one day. I was in the the book section with all the toys. And I came out of the book section looking for my mom. She was gone. And I freaked out. I'm missing my my mom. I don't know where she is. And I went up to the to the to the, the people at the front end and I said, I, where's my mom? And so I hear them call my mom's name over the intercom and there's no mom. Eventually my mom figured it out. I wasn't in the car. <laughs> and she came back. Like you could ever miss this. Come on. Come on. I was cute when I was a kid. Something happened, but I was cute then. Man. When Jesus says, I've I've come to seek and save what was lost, the sinner, it's really loving and enduring language. Can you turn them down just a little bit? I think I'm a little hot. It was really loving and enduring language. Thank you. This is how Jesus qualifies these stories. So we're in this series called The Church. And we talked about the first week is you find your people. When God calls you, He calls you out of yourself, but not only out of, or, uh, to yourself, but also out of yourself to a people. And that people is the church, the family of God, the kingdom of God. And when you find your people, what do you do? What do you do when you find your people? You commit to your people. 
When you commit to people, your people commit to you, you are committing to one another. You serve each other. You be the servant of all. But also, when you commit to your people, you love your people. That was last week. You love your people as I have loved you, Jesus said. So you must love one another. So the question is raised. Is it the church first, the church only, and the church always? Is it we take care of the church first, and if we have anything left over, then we have compassion on everybody else? That's not what Jesus had in mind. That's not at all what Jesus had in mind. Because what happens when it's the church first, the church only, and the church always? What happens to the church? It implodes. Because the church just gets older and older and older. And no one gets out of the walls and gets out of the doors. And churches, if it's the church first, the church always, and the church only, that church will die. Let's just be honest today. That church will die. And you talk to our assistant district superintendent at any point in time, he will tell you how many churches he's had to close because it's been the church first, the church only, and the church always. Jesus did not have in mind that. That's not what he had in mind. When he died on the cross and he rose from the dead and Pentecost happened and the Holy Spirit came into the people of God, they were launched. They were commissioned to go on mission because they were witnesses of Jesus crucified, dead and buried, rose from the dead for our sins, that we may have eternal life. The church, Acts chapter 2, all mission. And that's what we were set to do. And so when you go on mission, you bring that gospel, you bring that hope, you bring that good news. You bring the love of God with you. If you walk through from the west door down this hallway, you will see plastered on that wall. Love people, loving people to Jesus. If you look on the front of your bulletin, you will see plastered on your bulletin, love people, loving people to Jesus. If you go into any of these restrooms in this church, you will see above the mirror, love people, loving people to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus has commissioned you to be on mission. Not only have you received the love of God, but you're to extend the love of God. And you don't just love people, period. That we do. But we bring people to Jesus Christ. That is the end point and the beginning point of it all. That's what Jesus had in mind. Because he did say, Love your neighbor as yourself, did he not? When Jesus said, love your neighbor, I think Captain Obvious really says it clearly. He really meant it. I really like this guy because he just says it. 
When Jesus said, love your neighbor, he really meant it. Well, thanks, Captain Obvious. He did. He really did. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So, he meant it. And this is where we're going to start landing the plane. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a little, I guess, open. I don't know which vulnerable. There's the word vulnerable. Um, so several years ago, uh, we came up with this idea called backyard nation parties, and we really wanted to to do some dry runs to see to work out the kinks. <clears throat> so we did some dry runs for the first couple of years. And the idea behind this is that we resource, we equip and resource our folks here at Wapak Nas to throw a Matthew party. You just read Matthew's story, right? At Matthew chapter 9. That's literally an autobiographical story in the Gospels. And so we thought we're going to launch some people to love their neighbor, to throw a party in their neighborhood, in their own backyard, because there's a nation in our backyard. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. You don't have to go across the seas to, to make disciples. It's right here in our own backyard. So we call it Backyard Nation Parties. Wapakoneta is about 9,816 people. We'll see what happens with the census of 2020. Maybe we went up to like 50,000. I don't know. It would be amazing, right? But of that 9,816 people, according to that census, um, there's 41% in Auglaize County that does not know Jesus, that has no affiliation with with any faith whatsoever, whether it's, it's, it's Christianity or Roman Catholicism or Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism, 41%. No faith whatsoever. Do the math, we're probably about 4,000, give or take. That means there's a huge harvest in our community. So we thought we're going we're gonna to launch some people to throw that party to pull in neighbors. And the idea was pull in the neighbors. Let neighbors get to know neighbors first and foremost. Because we're in a world that is is so communicative, but is so isolated at the same time. I think you would agree. So let's get neighbors to know neighbors. But also, let's get neighbors to care for neighbors. Once they get to know neighbors, they begin to care for each other. But we connected to Walpock Naz. We love people to Jesus, right? So we want to hopefully, over time, have these spiritual conversations and bring people to Jesus. And we hope over time that these places are kingdom outposts that after you've thrown these parties from time to time to time to time, something happens with those families. Somebody comes and knocks on your door and says, hey, this happened in my family. Can you pray for us? Absolutely. I'll call the rest of the neighbors. We'll pray for you. What do you need? You need a dinner? We can do a dinner. That's pretty easy. 
I'll check up on you. Kingdom outposts. Guess what you've just done? You've multiplied the church, right? You've multiplied the effort and the impact of the church. Very simply. And so we, several years ago, we did some dry runs. And I personally asked some people, hey, what do you think about doing this? What do you think about doing this? We had Valley View. Valley View Apartments was amazing. That's an untapped potential right there. But I'm going to be a little vulnerable. I, I have in my office kind of a vision board. This is really what I'm praying and asking the Lord for, for this group of people right here. And I was convicted probably about six to eight months ago. Matthew can probably attest to that. If this is what you're asking for, if you're asking for seven kingdom outposts, if you're asking for a a group of people to be salt, light, and yeast in your community, if you're asking for a harvest, if you're asking for people to come to Christ, you know what you need to do, Ambrose? You need to launch your people. You need to equip your people. You need to launch your people. You need to throw the net out to your people. You're right, Jesus. I haven't done that. And that's my apology to you. Anybody can do this. Anybody. You don't have to have any specific skill set. You just need to be a be a person who loves Jesus. Human being who loves Jesus. Has Jesus in your life. So, here's the net. I'm casting the net to all of you. If you think, man, I can do this. I can do this. I can. Throw, I know how to host a party. I know how to cook. I know how to cook some meat. I can. I can put water in a container, and I can shake hands and say hi. If you know how to do that, you are leaps and bounds beyond me. You can do this. And so, I want to extend the net to you, as the body of Christ of Wapak Mass. This isn't Wapak Mass throwing a party for Wapak Mass. Not at all. Now, you might be able to partner with somebody, but this isn't us throwing a party for us. This is us loving people to Jesus, right? And it'll take some time. It'll take several years for this to happen in your world and in your neighborhood. But now's the time to start. So if this is you, if you're like, man, I think I can do this. At least I'm intrigued by this, and I'm curious about this, and I'm interested about this. Well, we have the Mr. Rogers sessions. Coming up, March 14th and 21. Because why? He wants to be your neighbor, folks. Mr. Rogers wants to be your neighbor. I was going to put on a sweater and stuff, but we'll leave that for him. We're going to have two days, two two Saturdays. Both days we're asking you to be a part of. And we're going to talk about the art of neighboring. Um, really what that means. The art of neighboring. There's a book I'm going to give you. It's free of charge, it's, meaning it's free. Um, we're not going to charge you. And we're going to walk through this book. It's really easy to read, not complicated at all. Uh, junior higher could read this really easily. Um, and we're going to talk about the art of neighboring, how to be a good neighbor. And we're going to talk about what backyard nation parties are and what we're asking you to do, the expectations that we would have you be a part of. And then at the end, you're like, hey, I'm not going to side on the dotted line, but I think I can do this on my own. Great, congratulations. We're, we're better for having you. But if you really want to be resourced through the body of Christ, 
through here. Then we're going to have some expectations for you. We're going to get you scheduled, and you're just going. We're going to launch you. We're going to launch you for this summer, from May to October. That's going to be our season. So, we're inviting you to be a part of this. I'd love for you to be a part of this because I think you could do this. It's pretty easy, very simple. So, if you would like to sign up, because we do ask that you sign up, um, sign up online. Go on our website. You can sign up, put in your information. We'll get you square. We're going to have donuts. We're going to have coffee. We're going to have food. Um, we're going to have a good time. It's going to be fun. So you're invited. Now, that may not be in your boat, but how do you actually, uh, how do people actually come to experience a worship gathering and find out that church people really aren't that weird? Hmm. Some of us are. Your pastor is one of them. How else can we do this? Well, we invite them. Thank you, Mr. Obvious. We invite them. Folks, we're not that weird. You're not that weird. You probably would say we have a weird pastor, but you're good. You're kosher. We have some agreement in the, in the front rows here. Yes, you are. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it. Folks, it's very simple. Even if you don't throw a Backyard Nation party, you just heard Jay Swink's testimony last week. And if you haven't heard that, it's online. It's on Spotify and it's on iTunes. The reason that he came here, how he got here, and how God has transformed his life is because someone invited him here. Someone invited him to this group of people, to this experience. And man alive, it has changed and transformed his life. Barry and Amber, you'll hear that you, you can listen to their testimony um, on Spotify, on iTunes, on our website from two weeks ago. How did they get here? They were invited here. Folks, the best way for people to experience the love of God and the people of God and realize, man, I could actually be here and, and not get burned alive or the walls cave in, invite them. It's very simple. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. There's always room for one more. Invite them. Andrew invited Peter. Nathaniel invited Philip. They're all four disciples of Jesus Christ, and we have their stories. Invite them in. Last but not least, we just want you to be salt, light, and yeast. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Jesus could not have complimented you more. That is a compliment. Man, you're the one that brings hope. Man, you're the one that brings love. You're the one that salts the flavorless culture. You're the one that seasons your workplace. You're the one that graces the ungraced system. You're the one that forgives the unforgiving. You're the one that steps in and brings love and peace and joy to a hateful situation. You. And you are yeast. Yeast goes into the dough and gets worked in, and man, it impacts the whole system. So, I'd ask that you be salt, light, and yeast. You may not think this Backyard Nation party, that's not for me. But you sure can be salt, light, and yeast where you are. You sure can invite people right in to be a part of this group of wonderful people. Because you are. And the kingdom is awesome. So, 
Will you be loved people loving people to Jesus? Will you bring the leaf to the table and extend it and add a chair? Because there's always room for one more. Can you say with me one more? So who's your one more? Who is your one more? When you find your one more, then you ask yourself, who's the next one? Who's one more? You have a one more in your life. You do. Who are they? Ask them. Invite them. And if they say no, continue to ask them. Invite them. And if they say no, continue to ask them. Invite them. And then you can ask other people. There's always room for one more. Can you please stand? Because honestly, I think you were somebody's one more. I think you were somebody's one more. If you played your memory like Matthew did, you might find that somebody went and invited you. Said, you need to meet this Jesus. You need to meet this awkward crowd called Wapak Nas. You we're probably a one more. And we are better for having you here. We are greater for having you a part of this group of people and this kingdom of God. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the truth of God. Thank you that there was room at the table for me. I was somebody's one more. I'm so glad they invited me in. Changed my whole life, Jesus. You know that. God, for us, remind us every day that there's always room for one more. Help us meet that one more. Help us build a relationship with that one more. Help us be bold to invite that one more. Because that one more is created in your image, is loved by you, just like we are. And Father, may this place, may this people just continue to grow one after another, after another, after another. Because the people of God extend your love. They are salt, light, and yeast in a community. Because they love you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ today. Amen. Will you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength? Love your neighbor as yourself, because there's always room at the table for one more. Have a good day.